We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. No, I'm really happy for him to get his first one. Um, you know, just watching his demeanor and how he interacts and the things that he says, you know, I assumed that he probably would be like, I don't know if I want to go. You know, so I, when I spoke to him, I told him, you need to go. <laughs> just, just go. So I'm happy he's going to be here. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. We just got finished watching the most fun all-star game of my life that I've ever seen. <laughs> my name is Mike Vigil. Of course, I'm here with Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it, this was an amazing night for the NBA, Mike. To it get really right, was. Right into it. This was a historic night for the NBA because we saw the greatest all-star game in either of our lifetimes. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty confident in saying the greatest all-star game ever. Uh, we have never seen this level of effort from the league's best players, and uh, the league successfully was able to kind of play into some of those narratives with the best of the best going right at each other's throats uh, towards the end of that game. So that was a major success for Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, major success for the league as a whole. Um, and I think a lot of us probably owe him an apology for the way we initially treated this proposal with changing the rules. And I think there are some valid reasons for us to have felt that way. Um, yeah. But no doubt, this this was a successful night for the league. Well, I think no matter what you did, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're making changes that are this elaborate, it's going to be confusing until you start watching the game. Right. That, I think that that's when it can all start making sense, once you see it in action. So... Of course, the initial rollout was kind of funny in, in the way that they rolled it out. But not only, we should get to this because we haven't talked about it yet, not only was this the most fun All-Star game ever, Devin Booker played in it <laughs> since the last time we recorded. Damian Lillard injured his groin and told, basically told Adam Silver that it should be Devin Booker as his uh, replacement. Devin Booker was chosen as an NBA All-Star, decided to go. It seemed like he was a little reluctant at first, which I find hilarious and also kind of fun. Uh, and then showed up and played in the NBA All-Star game. Devin Booker, the 13th pick, the only really great pick <laughs> that Ryan McDonough ever made, mm -hmm. became an NBA All-Star in his fifth season after being picked to maybe the worst situation that he could possibly <laughs> be picked into. It really is a remarkable story uh, of someone kind of overcoming odds because the Suns have been really, really bad, and he had to overcome all of that in order to become an all-star. And 
the storyline on Devin Booker, I think, is kind of interesting for this All-Star Weekend. Uh, most of the stories that I've seen seem to say that he deserved it. And I think that Damian Lillard helped that narrative along a little bit by actually saying that Devin Booker deserved to be there. What, yes. what do you think about all that? No, so I think Suns fans owe, owe something to Damian Lillard as well, at least some some respect at the very least. Damian Lillard's a yeah. real one for that. But I, I think what I've seen this weekend, I was so happy, obviously, to see Devin Booker be called an all-star because I think when it comes down to legacy, you very rarely remember who was an injury replacement and who kind of got in legitimately. Like two or three years from now, no one's going to remember right. that Damian Lillard hurt his ankle for two weeks. Uh, and that allowed Booker to get in the game. So right there, this is great for Booker's legacy because we know people use all-star games, whether or not that's a flawed way of thinking about it, uh, to look back on players retrospectively. Uh, But beyond that, I felt a lot of validation as a Suns fan uh, this weekend with all of the media interviews and and the media talking to players around the league and talking to coaches around the league. Damian Lillard, I think, put it into people's heads first because he was the first one to bring up Booker's name. Um, CJ McCollum, who didn't make the game, who wasn't there this weekend, had an interview where he said that Booker deserved it. Donovan Mitchell uh, had a quote in a recent Dwayne Rankin article yeah. where he talked about how good Booker was and and how Booker deserved it. Nick Nurse, Trey Young, yeah, Nick Nurse, Trey Young, all sorts of people around the league, and and I think that's really confirmation, uh, validation if you're a Suns fan, and confirmation of the idea that he is a household name among his peers, and he is a respected member. Uh, of this community among his peers and he really has made it and it doesn't necessarily feel as a Suns fan always like he has made it I think because of the attention he gets from the national media and because of the attention he gets from sort of casual fans uh, around the league who might not see him play on ESPN or TNT every night but the guys he's actually going up against on these kind of lesser known games they know what a true talent he is Um, and, and you know it just speaks to for instance like in the player vote he did well in the player vote too so you can you can go back and and look at that. Yeah, fourth, he was fourth in all guards. I think if like if your game plan the ten times you've played the Suns or whatever it was is to just stop Devin Booker over and you still can't do it right over time as an NBA player, you're gonna that's gonna make an impression on you. Of course, you're gonna realize that he deserves to be an All Star. And I I do like what you said that the injury replacement thing. I think that did bother Devin. It, mm-hmm. When he was first told about it after the the game against the Golden State Warriors, which is when that's when Damian Lillard hurt himself, it was all well they were playing. He said, "You know, I'm going to think about it. If they do ask me to do that, I'm going to think about it." And I I understand that. I get that. And here's the thing: if this was going to be his only All Star appearance, maybe it would be a bigger deal, right? Maybe it would be like I don't want to be an injury replacement, my only All Star appearance, but. You know, five years from now, if he has five all-star appearances, it's not going to matter at all. It's just not going to matter at all. So I, I definitely, I'm really glad that he showed up. I'm glad he was there. And I will say, it made, I've watched, I watch every all-star, all-star game. I, I Well, I'll say this. I don't always watch the all-star game. <laughs> I do participate in all-star weekend. I watch some of the events. I watch some of the all-star game. I usually sort of casually watch the all-star game because of how boring it can be. But having Devin Booker there, it, it, it really made it feel so much more connected. It's been so long since I've seen a Phoenix Suns player competing uh, with those other players that are at that level. And and even in the competitions, although Devin Booker's been there, it's it's different when he's an all-star. The sort of emotional attachment, I guess, I have to the player that's there. I saw him since he was 18. I saw him grow up. I I saw him defy those odds. I saw him score 70 points on, you know, live as I was watching on my TV. And, uh, to see him there in the All-Star game, I think, was it, it, it made it a lot more fun. I, I felt so much more connected to what was happening on, on the screen. And, 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 you know, although he didn't play much, we should say, <laughs> he right. didn't play much. And, and you don't, right, he, he and all the other first-time All-Star players, which there were a lot of, they all looked a little bit out of place. It's hard to really know how much defense should I be playing? Should I be attacking? Do I just jack up threes? Like that's tends to be what a lot of these th- players do. That's not how Devin Booker plays. Right. And that's how he played in this game because that's, that's just how the all-star game is now. It's threes and dunks. Yeah. So, you know, he, he looked a little out of place, but he didn't play a lot of minutes, but he, he did have that dunk. He did have <laughs> that dunk. dunk. Yeah. The official stats, uh, let me pull them up. He had six points, four rebounds, four turnovers, uh, three of eight shooting from the field. <laughs> Leave it to Devin Booker, by the way, to finish second place in the three-point contest. Um, 
and then go over <laughs> four from deep the night after in the actual game. But that's that's not a critique of his of his game necessarily. It's just well, look, he d- he didn't have the best all around game. By the way, this box score says he played nineteen minutes. He absolutely did not play nineteen minutes. I know because I was <laughs> tracking. He was at maybe eight minutes at the start of the fourth quarter. But of course, because the fourth quarter isn't timed, I think what they did right, is they just right. threw those minutes towards everyone. Like they gave everyone all 12. Right. Um, and so it's, it said he finished with 19 minutes. He didn't play more than 10, <laughs> if I had to guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they're like players that, like there's certain kinds of players where the, their game is predicated on how the defense plays them. James Harden is one of these guys. I think Devin Booker is one of these guys. They they have so many moves. If your game is like an all-around type of game, you're not just a shooter and you're not just a dunker, it's kind of hard to get going in the All-Star game because there's no defense. You're not, you right. don't have anyone to react to. James Harden took a while to get going too. He looked a little better towards the end of the game once the defense started. But if there's no defender to play off of, if there's no defender to kind of pull your tricks on, I think it can be a little bit more difficult to get going, but he did have some highlight plays. He was still fun to watch. It was fun to see him there. I did find myself thinking, like, who is he colluding with right now, right? (laughs) There's the the game within the game. I didn't even think of that. I I remember seeing the angle on TNT. He gets the putback dunk, right? And then the camera immediately shifts to the bench of Team LeBron, and it's LeBron and AD get up. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to L.A., um <laughs> uh no I, no I was thinking who is he recruiting because Devin Booker uh he's prideful like he, he doesn't want to join people he wants people to join him you could see it in his eyes before the three-point competition like he wasn't there to be to have fun like he was really trying to win that he's just a guy that doesn't it's not re- like he just wants to compete and you know I will say I was looking at the bench I was like which one of these guys which one of these guys on the bench is could could possibly change teams and which one of them could Devin Booker try to be uh, uh, actually trying to get to come to Phoenix? The one guy I settled on mentally that I wanted Devin Booker recruiting was Ben Simmons. I thought underappreciated yeah. in Philadelphia. They're going to probably have to decide on one of their two star players at some point. And uh, well, you know, Devin Booker's had some success with Australian <laughs> Australian teammates, so maybe Not, he's got yeah. that Australian connection because well, of Baines. We got to keep Baines now. That's that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, gotta, I mean, and, and also and Jonah Bolden, newly and Jonah Bolden, Australian. of course, and then Monty Williams, who coached right. uh, Ben Simmons briefly as an assistant coach. So that's who I settled on. Of all the players that I wanted uh, Devin Booker to be recruiting, uh, I settled on 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 him. Maybe it should be Damian Lillard, Lillard though. Well, I would love Damian Lillard. That would be a fantastic, <laughs> yeah. fantastic backcourt. But they'll, if you they'll think, never let him go. No. And if you, if you think about it, Ben Simmons, and they're not going to let, I don't know how realistic this is, Mike, but Ben Simmons is kind of the the natural upgrade over rubio uh in a sense obviously he can't hit a shot outside of 10 feet but that being said everything else he does kind of has the same strengths as rubio and and does those things even better than him and we've seen the level of success that booker has with rubio when the two of them are on the floor at the same time uh there's definitely reason to believe that that two-man punch could work in phoenix it'd work a hell of a lot better a hell of a lot better than Simmons and Embiid. Um, but which is why I was almost going right. to say, like when you brought that up originally, if anyone's the villain right now in Philly, I'd say it's Embiid more than more than Ben Simmons. Yeah, but that changes with whatever way the wind is blowing. Like, <laughs> yeah, they Philadelphia fans are, are fickle, and 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 you know, part I kind of enjoy it sometimes because uh, they're so unafraid of saying whatever their opinion is, but. Earlier this season, they hated Ben Simmons. I saw it online. I saw people doing it um, on Reddit. I saw it on Twitter. They think that the problems are, are, are related to the fact that he doesn't shoot threes. Embiid gets injured, right? Comes back from injury, not playing at fully 100%. You can tell. Now, all of a sudden, Embiid is the enemy. So <laughs> at some point, they're probably going to have to decide which one they want. It's, it's not... I, to me, it's Ben. We we talk about this all the time. It's I love Ben Simmons. I think he's going to be great, and I think if you build the right team around him, you're doing the right thing. Uh, so if they probably do have to decide, it's probably going to be Embiid that they trade anyway. And we don't we don't really have any use for Embiid. So the, and I didn't like him playing in the fourth quarter anyway. Embiid is yeah. just boring. No, he is he is boring. Although I'm glad you mentioned Embiid because the other Suns related thing I was thinking about as I watched this game. How do you envision? You know, it's so hard for a center to fit into this game. Like, if you look at it, Sabonis, 
was Booker's teammate in this game. He played 19 minutes according to the box score. He didn't actually probably played 10 to 12 minutes. He took right. one shot. He took one <laughs> shot in 12 minutes in an all-star game where the pace is really high. He wasn't in that fourth quarter when it became a shit fest. You know, yeah. he, he was in the, the part of the game where everyone's just throwing lobs to each other. He took one shot, had six rebounds, one turnover. He got to the free throw line, so he scored two right. points. Um, overall, he was doing a lot of running around out there. Uh, I was particularly laughing because there were there were a few possessions in a row. He was trying to open up our guy Book. He was setting off ball screens yeah. for Booker yeah. to come, to come up to the top of the key and get the ball. Like that's what he was doing. And the other guy who looked so awkward, but then ended up with a good game, is Rudy Gobert in the first quarter. I was like, oh my god, yeah. Rudy Gobert in an All Star game. Like, what do you do with this? Uh, but what it got me thinking about is, what does DeAndre Ayton look like? In an yeah. all-star game, you know, to the Suns fans who say that Aiton is almost there, I would, and yeah. I would like to believe that he's almost there. But, but what Not sort quite. of, it, yeah, I mean, in another year or two, that's the idea, right? But like, what sort yeah. of impact does DeAndre? Is he just running back and forth no, for, no. for twenty minutes? <laughs> it, okay, so I have thoughts. I have two thoughts on that. Uh, D- Sabonis is not a dunker. I, he can dunk, but he's not. He can't just stand in the dunker position and catch lobs. Aiton can do that, um, and you know he's—it's not easy to do on the Suns, partially because the only guy with gravity on the ball that can get him open underneath the basket really is Devin Booker. So he can get those lobs from Devin Booker. It's hard from anyone else, especially if Kelly Oubre doesn't pass, as we've talked about. If he's in an All Star game and you have Harden, LeBron, Chris Paul driving towards the basket, bringing that uh, that defender off of off of um, DeAndre Ayton in the dunker position, he's going to get lobs. He's going to score easy buckets. So I think that is is a little bit different. I I think that it the All Star game doesn't reward skilled big men. Even Jokic didn't do much. It just doesn't really reward that kind of guy. It's for wings. It's for guards. And then if you can get rebounds, putbacks, and 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 lobs, then you can get some points as a big man. But what I will say, this is the first time that we've really seen a competitive, a real competitive fourth mm-hmm. quarter. I think in the past we've pretended like the, the fourth <laughs> quarter was competitive when they started the sort of pickup game, pick pick your team's captain's type of play style and fair. Like it was more competitive than the past, but this was real, like actual competitive basketball that we saw tonight. And when that happened, because these guys have no chemistry together at all, it, it, it kind of got bogged down to a one-on-one play style and what that meant for Team Giannis was dumping the ball down to Embiid in the low post. And I, I did find that kind of interesting. I don't like it. I think that if you want to maximize the players that you have, you essentially put Giannis at center, and then you can pro- they, they probably would have won that game if they did do that. But it, it is a reminder that when the defense is sort of notched up to that 11, as, as it was in this All-Star game, those back-to-the-basket post-up players, they still have some sort of use if you can get that out sure. of Sure. Yeah, and I think especially if you can get fouled, I will say that. Right, and that's exactly what I was going to mention. So, to your point, the defense notched up to eleven. The field goal percentage was fifty-five percent between the two teams in the first three quarters. Dropped to thirty-five percent in the fourth quarter, as evidence of these guys were really trying. They really were. Uh, That being said, the refs, I think, got the pace got bogged down a little bit with all the whistles uh, in the fourth quarter. But even then, they weren't trying to turn it into this sort of regulation game you see in the NBA sometimes these days where it's just foul after foul. So Joel Embiid in the post time and time again, he's not going to get the 12 to 15 free throw attempts that maybe he usually does playing that sort of ball because the refs know that the fans just don't want to see it. Um, So even if like, for instance, Hayden develops that aspect of his game and becomes valuable, um, he's still not quite the prototypical like all-star. He he could be an all-star worthy player, but he's not necessarily going to win all-star MVP uh, for any reason. I think what's interesting about this game overall, we're both in agreement that it worked, correct? Yeah, I think it did. I, I had fun watching it. For right. the first time in a very long time. And it was sort of unrelated to Devin Booker because the Devin Booker exactly. minutes were, were not, exactly. you know, it, was not it, wasn't, it wasn't the reason to get overly excited about it. It was almost more fun to see him on stage next to the All-Stars than it was to see him in the game. But yeah, I right. had more fun watching it than I've probably ever had. My mood progressed throughout the game. At the beginning of the game, it was all, you know, five seconds into the game, put Booker in the game. Yeah. All right, put Booker in the game. Like, that's all I yeah. want to see right now. You know, fuck these other guys. Fuck uh, who else was on his team. Fuck... Uh, Westbrook. Fuck Westbrook in particular. Oh my God. <laughs> fuck Westbrook. Fuck Jason Tatum. 
uh, fuck Luka Doncic. Even Doncic, he was just terrible. Even Doncic, just put just put Booker in the game. However, then we we saw Booker in the game, and <laughs> Booker wasn't so great. So by yeah. the second half, by the fourth quarter, it really progressed. And and I think sort of at the start of that fourth quarter, uh, that's really where things changed for me. And I, I started to be in awe of what I was seeing. I was like, wow, this is really yeah. something different. But to go back to my question a second ago, it worked. Why did it work? Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think there's a couple things that go into it. Of course, the charity money matters, but I, I, I think that the, the target score was a brilliant thing because like, ultimately, the defense is going to ramp up as you get closer and closer to that target score in a way that it wouldn't if it was just a clock winding down. But the other part is, I think there's just this, this shadow of Kobe Bryant on this entire event, and I think the spirit of Kobe Bryant is like ultimate competitiveness regardless of the situation so i think that helped it out too so i think that that's probably not an easy question to answer i think that like like if if you were to ask me would i want them to do this exact same thing next year i not not necessarily but i think that there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from this year that you can apply to next year to make it just as good but what do you think yeah well the reason i asked you is because i can't figure it out i mean i have theories definitely kobe was one of them but if that's true, uh, if that's Kobe's lasting legacy over these players, and that's why they wanted to try so hard, then it's not necessarily repeatable. It's it's not something that you're going to be able to see every year. The other thing that I saw, and the reason I want to explore this possibility is because it would have other impacts on the NBA in the future, is apparently the NBA uh, CBA changed slightly, the rules changed slightly this year, so that um, did you know that players are officially paid to participate in the All-Star Game? I only know because I saw you tweet about it. Earlier. I never <laughs> knew this until tonight. And maybe I should have. Maybe maybe that's a thing that a lot of people know. I always thought it was just this dumb exercise that there was literally no incentive to. And And so here's the rules. It used to be if you were on the winning team of the All-Star Game, you won $50,000. If you're on the losing team, you win $25,000. And to an NBA player, theoretically, that shouldn't be that much money in the first place. This year, it changed a little bit. Winning players got $100,000. Losing players got $25,000. Again, if I'm already a multimillionaire, the difference between $100,000 and $25,000 doesn't mean yeah. that much to me. But you, ne- like, yeah. in struggling to figure out what exactly created this incentive? And the reason I think this is important going forward in defining not just the fact that tonight worked, but why it worked, is because we know that the NBA is thinking about making drastic changes to the way its regular season operates. We saw the report earlier this season about one of the things the NBA wants to do. They want to shorten the regular season by four games, from 82 to 78 games, and they want to introduce this notion of a mid-season tournament. It would be like this randomly generated... Uh, single elimination tournament featuring every team in the NBA, you know, sort of like a soccer cup of some sort, just to throw it there in the middle of the season to, I don't know, compete with college football and professional football ratings and change things up and break up the monotony of the schedule and make the league more interesting. The question is, how do you get the incentive so that players actually give a shit and aren't just looking forward to what, what they can do to ultimately win the grand prize, which is the Larry O'Brien trophy, the finals trophy at the end of the season. Uh, And so the obvious answer there is money. So the reason I'm interested in this is because, you know, like, did that play any part in why players care tonight? Was it the charity money that made them care tonight? Because if it's just a question of pride generally, the change in rules tonight shouldn't have had really any impact on that. You can care about the game in past years when it was timed and there was 12 minutes each quarter the players just didn't for whatever reason so i think it's important that the league tries to figure this out because if it turns out that you can incentivize players just by throwing more money at them then we have more changes coming yeah yeah i thought you made a great point too when you uh were talking about how much the players get paid compared to the charities that were involved because (laughs) for those who didn't know i'm sure you all know we we all watched it $100,000 $100,000 a quarter to each charity. Supposedly, the NBA is just going to pay both charities basically the same amount. There there was like a sort of Hunger Games-esque dystopian <laughs> feel to like putting the charity kids there to yeah. watch. And the like constant cutaways. Like, 
Yes, and like living <laughs> and dying on each of the free throws they take because their entire future is dependent on like whether Timmy or not they go to college. Timmy starves if James Harden misses this step back three. Yeah. It's just, it was insane. Yeah, it's but, it's but, like the, the difference between this kid getting a college education and living on the streets is whether or not James Harden fouled Kyle Lowry on a step back <laughs> three-pointer. Like that part, I, I will say this. Like I did think it mattered that they were there because there were kids, they could see their faces, and they were loud as hell. Like, they were really cheering. They were really loud. They were into the game. And I think it brought, like, a certain kind of energy to the game. Right. That has never really been there before because, well, because of what I just said. Because of that gross sort of dystopian future that we live in where <laughs> so, their future is dependent on a charity basketball game. My uh, best understanding of that situation, just just quickly, would be that all of those kids knew the league brought them in they were like look we're we're giving you x amount of money to begin with the rest of this money is just on top it's to give you something to root for but you're already right. taken care of that's that's essentially what that is because imagine yeah. if if the nba didn't take care of it kind of behind the scenes how batshit right. insane would it be to bring in a swath of a hundred kids, yeah. like underprivileged kids, to sit yeah. there for an entire game in the front row, and then their team just happens to not win any quarters? Yes. <laughs> you walk yeah. away with right. no money. So there has to right. be money behind the scenes being pumped into these foundations. Otherwise, it's just cruel. Yeah, some people had the theory that the first two quarters were sort of planned on who was going to win, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. It almost felt like that because at one point the entire starters for team LeBron were off the floor and Giannis was in for team Giannis and they were just steamrolling in that second quarter after team LeBron won it just kind of it did kind of feel like they wanted one team to win one quarter one team to win the other and then that second half would be a little bit more competitive I do wonder what they're going to do next year if they're going to continue to do that. It does kind of have like a hometown feel to it, right? Because they're local charities, which was kind of cool. They're from Chicago. They're Chicago kids who get to see the All-Star game in their hometown. Uh, but it did kind of, it kind of reminded me of the decision, like one of the worst <laughs> moments of LeBron's career where he brought all these kids that were in a charity and he was like, I'm moving to a different state because this state sucks. Uh, here's $100,000 or whatever he did in the decision. It it felt a little like that, which is like widely known as the worst moment of LeBron James's career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, there were so there were so many elements I liked about it. That felt a little weird, no matter what. It is cool that they're giving these kids charity, but it just like the more you think about it, the weirder I think it feels. Overall, it's a successful night. If the worst part about the All Star Game was that it took forty five fucking minutes to start in the first place and that basically all of the on-court stuff was fine uh but at a certain point the beginning the the national anthem um <laughs> and common <laughs> common being up there for for far too long uh they, they could have with the dead how do you feel about devin pressure cooker booker <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's natural you know that's <laughs> He botched it, someone entirely, but I forget who it was. He rhymed something weird with Kawhi Leonard, like something that yeah. didn't rhyme. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. yeah, clinic or I don't know. It was something weird. It didn't <laughs> feel. He's um. He feels like your dad's rapper now. It's mm -hmm. a weird thing where Common at one point was like so cool, and now he's just like, now he's like Kevin Hart, like the way Kevin Hart was at the previous All Star Weekends. That's what Common is now. We're just going to use him at every single event and uh overuse him one might say uh let's take a quick break we'll come we come back and we'll come back and we'll have a lot more to talk about i'm sure uh but we have a couple things for you in this quick break we'll be right back we're now taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor bet online bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports march madness the masters Major League Opening Day are all right around the corner. Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part is, when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy, and if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. 
Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. This week in Suns history. On February 20th, 2005, the Phoenix Suns won two events on All-Star Saturday. Steve Nash won the third ever NBA All-Star Weekend Skills Challenge, and Quentin Richardson won the three-point shootout. It's a clean sweep for Phoenix tonight, I'm predicting. $25,000 to Steve Nash. It's been a pretty good year for that guy. He's had a great season. The previous best score of the skills challenge at that point was 31.6 seconds, which Steve Nash obliterated by finishing in 25.8. Nash would repeat as a winner of this contest again five years later in 2010. Richardson, on the other hand, won the three-point shootout with a score of 19 points, a relatively low mark for a winner. At that time, the Suns were the only NBA team to have had a winner in all three All-Star Saturday events at some point in their history. Since then, four other teams have done it. The Celtics, the Bulls, the Heat, and the Timberwolves. All right, shout out again to Cody Hunt for helping us out with our This Week in Suns history. Don't forget to follow him at C-O underscore D Hunt on Twitter. A great Twitter follow for any Suns fans, I do want to ask you, Sam, before we get off the All-Star game completely, did you see that the NBA tweeted a list of players to vote for for the All-Star game MVP <laughs> yes. yep. and left Devin Booker off of the list and included Damian Lillard? How did you feel about that? Uh, I thought it was funny. Honestly, I thought it would have been funny <laughs> if, if Frank Vogel just benched him the entire game. Uh <laughs> He's like, I didn't vote. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> I didn't vote for this. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm sure that's never happened. Uh, but, but just conceptually, the idea of flying out a guy and having him participate and, and stay there the whole weekend and then just say fuck you and bench him the entire time <laughs> would have been pretty funny to me. And and uh, you know would have kept Book hungry going didn't forward. Jimmy Butler do that? Didn't he get injured like right before the All Star oh, game? But I'm, just like he traveled anyway, and then I think he only played like a minute or well, something. See, and, and this then he is just what sat out. this is what I'm talking about with legacy, dude. I believe yeah. you, but I have no idea. Actually, what I, <laughs> what I wanted to say, what I wanted to say, is that Devin Booker scored the first field goal in the, in an All Star game by a son since 2010. Yeah. The reason that is is not because the Suns most recently had an All Star right. in 2010. Steve Nash was an All Star in 2012. He played. I went back and looked at the box score of that game because I couldn't really remember a 37 year old Steve Nash playing physically in that game. It's because he played five minutes uh, and didn't <laughs> didn't attempt a single shot. <laughs> so right. I think I think that was basically um, old man Nash's version of. Not getting in on legacy, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it, but just kind of being there. He was there good that year. Being like, yeah, this is this is my last ride, more or less, and just riding it out and, and letting other yeah. guys have an opportunity to play in that one. Yeah, I remember, I think he was averaging like 11 assists when they went into the All-Star break that year. It would have been pretty hard to keep him off of the uh, All-Star team. But yeah, he didn't, I remember that too, he didn't really play much, he didn't, he's never really, he's not really an all-star game type player either no uh, not you know at all. it's just not really his game i did find it funny though there is the aaron baines fan club account has this uh, long-running uh, nba deep state joke <laughs> about <laughs> i don't actually i don't know if it's a joke maybe he has actual theories because there are suns fans that truly believe the nba is out to get us or just hate robert sarver and therefore things don't work out for the suns in a lot of ways but, I mean, the fact that they did not even include his name, it's not that complicated. I think they just made the, the graphic like a week ago and then like probably set it to tweet out at a certain time and forgot that Devin Booker wasn't on it. But I love that it fuels those type of, uh, of rumors about the NBA deep state. So a couple other things have happened since the last time that we recorded. And the first thing we should talk about is uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, who is no longer a Phoenix Sun. Tyler Johnson... A weird, a very weird time with the Phoenix Suns where he seemed to be really a really good contributor when he first got to the team and then everything sort of fell apart <laughs> after that and he was let go. You know, he was, again, I think he had a $19 million last year of his mm-hmm. contracts or something close to that this year and they basically paid him for the rest of the season and they let him go, basically allowing him to go sign on other teams if another team is want or would want him. Nothing has happened yet. That's not super weird because I imagine that this All-Star break is when any sort of transaction like that would happen, but 
I'm not so sure that he will be picked up by another team. I think he should. Uh, even if he's just kind of an end-of-the-bench guy, he seems to be a good attitude guy. But uh, what do you think about Tyler Johnson's time with the Phoenix Suns? How weird is that? Very weird, because he was a, a true steady contributor to some decent basketball last season. It was a small stretch yeah. of games, but uh, how quickly he fell from grace it continues to perplex me a little bit. Obviously, injuries have something to do with it, but even so, Tyler Johnson isn't at the age where you'd expect him to be out of the league. Um, and to put stats to it, he's averaged this season 5.7 points, 1.6 assists uh, on 48% true shooting. His BPM, that's a box plus minus, uh, ranked in the bottom 50 in the NBA. Um, so it, it points to a player who is playing well below replacement level, who the Suns were not wrong to cut their losses from this guy. And, and especially, right. I think, because of who we'll talk about next, who they picked up in the roster spot they created by getting rid of him. That being said, if I have anything more to say about Tyler Johnson, I mean, it's been a week since he was dropped. So I think in many respects, Suns fans have already moved on from this guy. But it's uh, he was, as far as I can tell, a stand-up guy um, who cared about doing his job, a consummate professional, and there is something, it's a moral victory, but there is something nice about that to know that at least with the moves James Jones has made so far, um, the guys who have not worked out in Phoenix, the guys who left kind of, and and not all these guys were James Jones signings from the start, but the guys who kind of left town at the end of last summer too, Jamal Crawford and Dragan Bender and Ryan Anderson, when they traded him for Tyler Johnson, even when these guys don't work out. Um, they have been nothing but respectful professionals in their time with Phoenix. And we are now a couple years removed, it seems like, from any major head cases. I guess Josh Jackson is the kind of exception to that rule. But again, Josh Jackson wasn't drafted um, by James Jones. So it didn't work out for Tyler Johnson in Phoenix. Um, I hope he gets another chance in the NBA. I think realistically, he may only have one more chance with the way he played this year. Um, and if one more team picks him up and, and he can't make the most of it, then he may be gone for good. Um, but it is at least nice to know that he didn't blow up anything on his way out, which is not always how it's been for this team in the past decade. So to recap, uh, Brandon Knight, <laughs> actually, we could go back all the way to the beginning if we really want to. Some sort of version of a Goran Dragic trade turned into Brandon Knight. Brandon Knight turned into Ryan Anderson, and then Ryan Anderson turned into Tyler Johnson. Now, Ryan Anderson and Tyler Johnson are not on an NBA team. Brandon Knight is still kind of playing on an NBA team, if you count the Cleveland Cavaliers as an NBA team at this point. That was like sort of a, it, like every player in those transactions, other than Dragic, of course, is sort of like cursed. It's very bizarre because Brandon <laughs> Knight, he, and, and it's the Suns that did it if you really want to talk about it, but Brandon Knight was pretty good when he was on, I believe it was the Milwaukee Bucks, when the Suns traded for him, uh, no longer good, really. Uh, Ryan Anderson, not a great player when the Suns traded for him, but a quality shooter still. He still had the ability uh, to hit shots, Gun comes to the Suns, shoots less than 30% from threes, I think, in his time here. And then, of course, Tyler Johnson, uh, a contributor, a guy that his contract, yes, he was overpaid, especially if you look at a single year, but that's not how a contract works. He was paid too much for the, the length of his entire career, but by design, because it was a restricted free agency offer that the Nets tried to take him from Miami. Miami matched and kept him at that contract, even though it was overpaid. Came to the Suns, still a good trade, in my opinion. If you're going to get rid of Ryan Anderson, get a guy who can play. Comes to the Suns, and then Tyler Johnson eventually forgets how to play basketball as well. Just a weird sort of cursed line of transactions that led to Tyler Johnson forgetting how to play. And I do want to mention, at the beginning of the season, you and I talked about how uh, Tyler Johnson <laughs> slightly adjusted his three-point shot. His oh. release looked a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, it looked like he worked on speeding it up. We were excited about it because in preseason... It looked pretty good, but then all of a sudden he couldn't shoot anymore. And I think there's like an element of at some point in your career, at some point, stop messing with your jump shot. Just stop because continue small, small, small changes if you'd like to try and get it as close as possible. But if you make any sort of fundamental changes to your jump shot, and maybe it was in our heads, right? Maybe it wasn't as real as we expected it to be. It really the seemed fact like that we it though. It really did. It seemed like his jump shot had changed, and then he forgot how to shoot. It, it's, it seems like now there is enough evidence that of these NBA players 
forgetting how to shoot after trying to tr- change the jump shot that there's you're playing with fire a little bit i think if you try and change too much in an offseason of course there's success stories as well tj warren i think is one of the best ever uh as success stories on changing your jump shot but that was all footwork it wasn't really his release and i just think uh i look back at that conversation now and it just makes me wonder if that was something that affected his career in the long run but Seems like a real stand-up guy. For sure. He said all the right things. Seemed like a good teammate. Was Everyone was kind of always smiling around him. I just... Do you think any team is going to pick him up at this point? Not for the rest of this season. I wouldn't anticipate it. Um, so but bizarre. I think I think he'll get another tryout next year. You know, it's interesting what you mentioned about his shot. Because I didn't even think of that. But Mikhail Bridges is shooting pretty well right now. Um, and he's worked with a number of shot coaches uh, and, and kind of development guys on the suns how do you apply that logic to to what mikhail is doing do you want mikhail to kind of you know your hitch is your hitch and just work to to have the most efficient hitch you possibly can or do you do you want him to drastically change that release well actually i think the hitch is an example of a player trying to change their jump shot and it backfiring actually because he didn't shoot like that previously and and even though I can't look at it and say this is a long NBA career that Tyler like Tyler Johnson had before it changed, he did play four years in college, and that jump shot didn't start changing until he got to the NBA with Mikhail Bridges. So I think more than anything else, he is going back to shooting like he used to. And there's actually a really great article uh, on The Athletic for those of you who are subscribed. If you're not... This is a good reason to do it because this really great article, Bob Young, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. who wrote the article about Mikhail Bridges' jump shot and how it got better. Because over the last few weeks, few months, it's improved dramatically in the percentages and in the look. And one of the ways they did that was showing him film of his shot in college and comparing it to his shot in the NBA. And from Mikhail Bridges' perspective, he didn't know that the hitch was there. He had to see it to believe it. I think that when you're in the midst of a shot, and this is common for people who have hitches, even if you watch old clips of Charles Barkley trying to change his golf swing, it's like he wasn't even aware that he was stopping in the middle of his golf swing. It's just it's hard to, to notice it when you're in it. He had to see the way he shot in college in order to change his shot and make it as smooth as possible uh, now in the NBA so I think actually he's an example of, of the bad side of trying to change your jump shot. And, and you know what? It's a balance. I'm not saying that every player shouldn't try because there's always positive stories and there's always negative stories. It's just the negative ones are pretty expensive, <laughs> I think, <laughs> because this could be the difference in uh, Tyler Johnson making a few million dollars for the rest of his career and making nothing. And it's not that he's hurting for money, of course, but that difference in a few million dollars is... A few million dollars. I think it's, it is what it is. Uh, so, I don't know. Mikhail Bridges, I think it's, it's a good example of a guy who fixed it. Everyone should read that article if you can. I found it pretty fascinating. A Ricor- Ricardo uh, Foy. Remember how we pronounced his name? <laughs> uh, there was an appearance. I feel like he, he's not talked about a lot in a lot of um, the beat writers who write about the Suns. His name doesn't come up a lot. But in fixing Mikhail Bridges' jump shot, uh, it did come up. So we talked about Tyler Johnson being cut. That opened up a roster spot. The Suns needed a big. All four of the bigs on this team were injured uh, for the Golden State Warriors game. The Suns signed Jonah Bolden, who is an Australian player, most recently played with the Philadelphia 76ers. He came in, played in the in the Golden State Warriors game. In my opinion, uh, the Suns probably would not have won that game without Jonah Bolden. So now, of course, as tradition states, it's time for you and I to overreact to how good Jonah Bolden is. How great was he in that game? I really loved it. He was fantastic in that game. He's my player of the week. Um, oh, I love it. We, we didn't even introduce that Did, segment. I didn't this prepare week, for it. But he's my player of the week <laughs> with a, a whopping stat line. 26 points. Six, uh, fuck. 26 minutes. Six <laughs> points. <laughs> uh, seven rebounds. Uh, one steal. Two blocks. And a team high plus 17 in a win over the Golden State Warriors. And I think yeah. he's interesting because he's only listed at 6'8". He's not very big, um, but he's an athlete. He's a real yeah. athlete. And and he's a different type of athlete uh, than Shek Diallo. He's kind of a, a sort of middle-of-the-road hybrid between a springy guy like Shek Diallo who kind of bounces all over the place and a guy like Aaron Baines. The thing I really liked about Jonah Bolden um, in that debut 
was that he was setting hard screens that to this point uh, in in the games where neither Aiton nor Baines were playing, Shekdialo just can't give you the same level of screen setting, uh, which is so critical to initiate sets for guys like Devin Booker and, uh, and Ricky Rubio. Bolden was really able to give you that. On the defensive end, uh, he really stood out as well. Um, particularly like he... The the Warriors were getting him to switch because they thought they could beat him in the open floor. And he was staying with guards on the perimeter and shuffling yeah. his feet really well. Um, overall, very impressive game from him. Um, and he's got two more games left on his 10-day contract before the Suns right. decide to either give him another 10-day um, or cut him, obviously. But uh, So I'm excited at the end of next week to see him in two more games because uh, he really stood out in that first game. I think it's very telling, too, that Monty has coached or excuse me, sorry, um, Monty gave more minutes to Jonah Bolden than right. he did to Sheck Diallo. And Monty has co- been coaching Diallo all right. season long. Right. He's been throwing him in these lineups and in these rotations. Bolden came in, didn't even have a practice with the team, and he played 26 minutes in his first game to Diallo's 22. I think that we've gotten enough Sheck Diallo minutes now where I can confidently say that he is a bad defender, team defender. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that he gets lost too easily, makes a lot of mistakes. Looks a lot like DeAndre Ayton last year, actually. I think um, just a lot of mental errors uh, on the court, facing the wrong direction, facing the wrong guy, trying to switch when other players aren't switching, not communicating, the types of problems that bad team defenders have. And I think that's what is... Uh, making Monty lose faith in Sheck. That's why they brought in Jonah Bolden. One good game means nothing. One good game right. against the Golden State Warriors means less than nothing because of how <laughs> bad they are. So, but here's the thing. They have an open roster spot and these guys continually get injured. So it's a possibility that he'll be signed through the end of the season. I could see that happening. Not a lot of other players available. Doesn't seem like they're planning on doing any doing anything to try and fix the backup point guard position, we're going to roll with what we have the rest of the season. I think that's smart at this point. See what you have, try and develop them as much as possible. These guys are on, most of these guys are under contract for multiple years. Give them minutes and see what you have. The but if we're gonna if we're gonna deal with these types of in- injuries from Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, Dario Saric, there's it, just so many injuries with these big guys. It it makes sense to roster another big man, especially if they it, he's got two chances to prove that he would be a smart rostered player, and if he does well in those two games, they should sign him for the rest of the season. I, I'm already at that point. What do you think? No, I I completely agree. Again, one game means nothing. Um, the other exciting thing about a skill set though that we didn't see half of his field goal attempts last season, his rookie year with the Sixers, right. were threes, uh, and he shot thirty five percent. So, he, you know, he can he can hit a standstill three, which is yeah. an advantage on this team, especially when uh, Diallo's your only big. <laughs> and you and want from, a little from bit all of, over the court, too. Right. From and, the top and, of the key, from the wings, from the corners, he shoots it everywhere. Exactly. And, and he missed both of his attempts in that first game. But when so much of, of the way you run your offense is predicated on this idea of having uh, that you're either going to have one of Saric or Kaminsky or, or maybe Cam Johnson playing up at the four a little bit, but you're going to have, or Baines, you're going to have one of those guys at the top of the key pick and popping at any time uh, to go from that to having nothing. Uh, Bolden could be a big help in filling that niche. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see what they end up doing uh, with him. I was impressed. I like him. I like, I tend to like Australian players in general. I liked watching them in the uh, World Cup, and they're a very fun team. And you know, obviously, when you're when you're Monty Williams and you've coached a guy before, you have a pretty good idea of of what you're getting with Jonah Bolden. And I think um, I- I'm excited to see him for the next two games. Do you think that there's any? At what point should we start looking at our training staff a little side eyed? <laughs> because. DeAndre Ayton was injured. Now, DeAndre Ayton, maybe the blame goes to Puma, right? Maybe we can blame his shoes. I think that's a little silly, to be honest. I think it's possible he should just wear higher-top shoes. Uh, That's his decision in a lot of ways. Um, But if you look at the training staff, basically every older player is injured constantly on this team, and that includes Ricky Rubio, who plays through injuries constantly, but Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, and, of course, DeAndre Ayton, who is not an older player, even though he looks like it. Uh, but these guys are constantly battling injuries. Now, I think there's a point where you say, well, Devin Booker's healthier than he's been in a long time. And yeah, that's fair too. But I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm well-versed in 
uh, health and physical wellness for right. athletes. Uh, so I don't know at what point should we start blaming these guys, but I think there's got to be some questions <laughs> asked. They let um, w- the best trainer that we've ever had go and hired guys that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's what they did. I understand that perspective, and, and I was mad about that at the time. That being said, you'll recall there were a lot of people questioning Aaron Nelson for similar reasons um, last year and the year before who kind of were under the assumption that Nelson had built up this reputation of saving the careers of guys like Steve Nash and Grant Hill and, and Shaquille O'Neal and others uh, in the late 2000s and then coasted on that reputation. And that by the time it got to uh, the mid-2010s, the rest of the league had caught up to the technology that the Suns were using, and they didn't really have an advantage anymore, and that was reflected in the injuries. I am choosing to believe, as someone with no medical background, that it's all statistical noise, um, and you can't really judge a training staff by you know, an ankle sprain here or a, a bumped knee there, um, and that accidents will happen. I think certainly the big variable that you can look at, the most intuitive thing to me, is that guys are going to get hurt when you put more of a load on them and there's more wear and tear than they're accustomed to. And I think that's not necessarily where we look at the training staff. That's where we look at the coaching staff. And we've talked about this in the past, Mike, you look at guys like Ricky Rubio playing substantially more minutes than he has in the past. And you look at guys like Aaron Baines playing, especially Aaron Baines playing substantially more minutes than he has in the past. And I think you can look at that sort of stuff and start to draw a correlation. Um, I don't think we're at the point where you, you point fingers at the training staff. I think the Suns have just had shit luck. Well, here's what I'll say. <laughs> Robert Sarver spent money on the coaching staff. Uh, he's spending money, some of it his, some of it not his, on the arena. He's building a practice facility, and it sure seems like he saved a lot of money on the training staff. Let's just say that. He hired a bunch of uh, guys from the G League. He hired guys who've never worked in the NBA before, and he it's it's a lot like when he hired Earl Watson to be the coach, you know? Uh, hiring someone with no experience because you can pay them a little bit less. That's that's all. That's my impression of of the training staff right now. I'm not blaming them. I don't think it's possible for us to fully comprehend whether or not they have any ability to prevent injuries. I think that there is some type of preventative workouts that you can do. Uh, you know, we all have heard the stories about uh, Steph Curry changing the way he runs. We've heard that the uh, Pelicans medical staff want to teach Zion how to walk again. Apparently, he doesn't walk properly. Uh, so there are ways to try and prevent injuries. I think those are sort of long-term goals for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, training staffs. But I just I wonder. I think when I look at a lot of the hires they made, if that's the one place where Robert Sarver found a way to save as much money as possible, especially after their innovative partnership fell through. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. So there's a break. Uh, until the next game. The next game is on Friday, February 21st against the Toronto Raptors who are 40 and 15 and one of the best teams in the NBA over the last 20 or so games. They won 15 games in a row recently and they're pretty damn good. They seem to have not really fallen off at all last season, even with losing Kawhi Leonard, who admittedly didn't play every game last year, took a lot of time off, but they look really damn good. That's going to be a really tough game for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, to come back from All-Star break and immediately play the hottest team in the NBA. Of course, the All-Star break can affect everyone, uh, but that's going to be a tough one. What do you think about that Toronto game? Uh, the odds aren't great, right? Uh, Toronto, yeah. as you kind of alluded to, they've won 15 of 16. Uh, so that's pretty good. Just had their 15-game winning streak snapped. Um, and, and the Suns have not, unfortunately had a great track record of success against the cream of the crop this season. I think there were a couple of games that led us to believe that they were on the right track towards the very, very beginning of the season when they beat teams like uh, the Clippers uh, and when they beat Philly. You'll remember that opening stretch of 11 games. Since then, I've seen some kind of measurements of where the Suns are and where other teams are in the league where essentially what's done is breaking the league into tiers um, and, and tearing it off uh, into six different tiers, going from the contenders in tier one all the way down to the bottom feeders in tier six, kind of like divisions. You've got five teams in each tier. Um, or, or actually, maybe I'm mixing it up. It might be five tiers of six teams. Sorry. But defined on those parameters, the absolute best teams, and now that I'm reading it, it actually is six teams. So it's it's five tiers of six teams. The best teams in the NBA this season, Milwaukee, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, 
uh, the Nuggets, the Celtics, and uh, the Raptors. This has no yeah. bearing on what we expect these teams to, to do in the playoffs. Maybe some of them will perform better in the playoffs than others. But just based on yeah. regular season alone, this, this is the cream of the crop. And the Suns are 2-10 and 10, uh, against those teams so far this season. They have a losing record against the next two tiers as well. Um, kind of the, the pretty good teams, the above average teams, but not quite contender status. Um, against the teams in their own tier, they're in the fourth tier, just one up from the bottom feeders. Uh, they are 500. And the only tier that they actually have a plus 500 record against is the absolute bottom feeders. That's your Golden State, your Cleveland, your Atlanta, Charlotte, New York, Washington, teams like that. Um, so the Suns have a pretty good track record against the absolute worst, and, and they are capable of occasionally rattling off a win against a plus 500 team. But overall, the, the success just isn't there so far. And uh, that's unfortunate because they have the seventh hardest schedule from now until the end of the season, according to Tankathon, based yeah. on the games that are remaining. So yeah, the, Toronto is a very hard team. They're almost at full strength, not quite but it's yeah. going to be difficult. And it's it's one of the hardest games that they have remaining on their entire schedule. And the Suns are the, the, the youngest team in the NBA, even without injuries. Now, if you factor in the fact that four out of the five oldest players on the team have been injured recently, they're very much the youngest team in the NBA. And that usually means they struggle against the smartest teams. And Toronto is possibly the smartest team uh, you know at least you can really say that it's probably the bucks in toronto are probably the two smartest coach teams i i love the miami heat as well i think the right. miami heat played brilliant uh i mean but those are the types of teams that they can't manhandle the suns so <laughs> this will be a tough game and if they win we can be very proud of it as suns fans i will say the kyle lowry experience in the all-star <laughs> game was a real roller coaster <laughs> he was amazing i love oh you thought he was a competitor yeah, he he is he is a competitor. But then he fouled. Then he fouled, uh, and I don't blame him. Right, he was completely outmatched by Anthony Davis. But he he gave away the game winning shot. You could see the pain on Giannis's face as he realized that Kyle Lowry uh, was fouling Anthony Davis, and the game was about to end uh, the most boring way possible for the most exciting All Star game of all time. Uh, with a free throw. Uh, the day after the Toronto Raptors game, the Suns play the Bulls. And these are both, by the way, these are both away games as well. So this is a back-to-back away, which is good because the Suns are better on the road. Uh, and I think that's like a definitive fact at this point. I don't think we can deny that. Um, and the Bulls, not quite that that uh, garbage uh, tier that you <laughs> brought up. The Bulls were not yeah. listed in there, but they're the no. tier right above that. They're 19 and 36. Barely less uh, wins than the Suns. The Suns are twenty-two and thirty-three currently. They could win that game. That's that's an absolute oh, yeah. winnable game. <laughs> yeah, and the they Bulls should win that game. They should win that game. I mean, it is a back-to-back. It is on the road, but the Bulls are battling back a couple of injuries uh, themselves. They don't have Laurie Markkinen. Not that he's been great this season, <laughs> but they don't have him right now. Um, it's so it's going to be a battle of Zach Levine and Devin Booker in that one. And, and like I said, the bulls are missing some guys. So they're, they're playing some interesting guys in their starting lineup right now. I think they're playing, uh, currently starting Luke Cornett, not Luke Kennard, Luke Cornett at center. It's a different white guy. This <laughs> one's about a foot taller than Luke Kennard. Um, but he also shoots threes like most white guys in the NBA do. Um, so some interesting guys in that starting lineup and, and we'll see how the Suns are able to match up. Yeah. I'm- a lot more confident in that one than the Toronto game. Let's just say that. Um, when we started recording this podcast, Sam, I tweeted out that we are recording a podcast and asked people what they want us to talk about. We have quite a few responses here. Let's try and answer every single one of these with a single sentence. How do you feel about that? I'll try. All right. This one's from Zinn, our friend from Reddit. Thoughts on ride-hailing companies like Uber and Lyft actually increasing traffic congestion, even though they initially claimed to reduce traffic. There's a big Wall Street Journal article about this recently. How do you feel about that, Sam? I haven't read the article. It's very believable to me that they would increase traffic, uh, semicolon. Nonetheless, uh, I believe that they are overall uh, serve an important function in our society, and I will continue to use them. If it reduces drunk driving, I'm all for it. That's my thoughts on that one. Uh, nicknames that you think are better than pressure cooker. Book. I like book. I like D-book. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, let's see. 
If there's no ad for Devin Booker pressure cooker, I might be disappointed. <laughs> we might have to make a fake Devin Booker pressure cooker ad, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> uh kellen olsen says efficient forms of transportation bullet trains like, yeah uh, i guess it's not U- uber or lyft apparently <laughs> <laughs> uh book at the game making it to his third three-point finals will he get more respect best all-star game in memory laker trolls saying booker sucks <laughs> i think we covered that right yep basically I mean, we didn't really cover the three-point competition, but it was fun. He did a good job, and I'm not surprised Buddy healed one. That guy can get hot. Let's see. Put one all-star from tonight on the Suns. Who are you picking? If we're just, if, if we're just naming any all-star Giannis, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Giannis I mean, fits in the best with Book. I'm trying to decide very quickly if I agree with that. Yeah, it has to be Giannis, right? Yeah, I mean, like maybe he might fit with Aiton, but you talked. Knows. We talked about Ben Simmons, so I guess we kind of covered this one too. If you want, like a not realistic but more realistic option. Yeah, that's a good one. Favorite cloud type: Nimbo Stratus or Cirrus? I like va- <laughs> vape. Is, vape is a comment underneath. Spencer <laughs> comments vape. Uh, that's great. Um, Cirrus, I would probably yeah. choose. I'm gonna go with iCloud. I think I use that the most. <laughs> uh your favorite commercial during the fourth quarter i did not watch the commercial oh but there was no commercials during the fourth quarter that's what it was okay i get that were there none did you notice that yeah they didn't take any uh they didn't have any commercial breaks that was pretty cool i didn't notice that's yeah that maybe was the biggest w of the night (laughs) because that's that's just a really good uh idea talk about how we stumbled upon the new all-star format like we stumbled upon penicillin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just a good one we well and similar to penicillin its effectiveness will will wear thin pretty soon <laughs> as, as, as soon as someone gets injured uh playing like legitimately i don't know when that's going to be mike but it's going to be eventually yeah. someone's these guys are actually going to go for it they're going to play hard if we keep this yeah. format and someone's going to get injured and it's going to start a whole thing it's yeah, it was interesting. LeBron was exhausted. Yeah. And you could see it towards the end of the game. Ben Simmons took a tough fall and it scared the crap out of me. So, yeah, I could see that happening. So, please talk about the horrendous rendition of the national anthem. Oof. That was hilariously bad. I think we covered that too. Shaka right? wasn't great. Nope. <laughs> what do you think Book took from that fourth quarter, even though he was on the bench? Do you think his reputation with the refs will now be improved? Interesting. Now that he officially has the all star title. That is a fascinating question. That actually is a fascinating question. Can't really answer that one in one sentence. Um, I hope so. <sighs> I hope so. It's the text that bothered me more than anything else. I think he actually gets a lot of fouls. So if, if you buy into the idea, why do you buy into the idea that refs are giving guys calls, right? Like, we, okay, so they do it. But again, why do they do it? Is it because they're under, you know, a, a certain... Like, the league sends out a memo to give certain guys calls based on which guys play for teams that are more profitable to the NBA. Like, are we going full tinfoil <laughs> hat here? Because if that's the case, then it's not... Booker being an all-star is irrelevant. He needs to win games. He needs to prove that Phoenix is a profitable market. Uh, yeah. And once he puts butts in those seats, which is only going to happen if the Suns win games, he's going to start yeah. getting those calls. It all snowballs. The seats first. It all <laughs> snowballs, and the momentum builds up, and then suddenly, before you know it, 15 free throws a game. All right. Surround book with talent and you get wins. Surround anyone with talent and you get wins. But yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, stock picks or ways to seize the team from Badman Bobby. I don't know what that means. I think he's asking uh, how to get the team away out of the hands of Robert Sarver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer that one. Okay, talk about how Devin Booker can take getting selected into the All Star game and how that momentum can carry over into the second half of the team uh, with the Suns. I I really don't know how much. I actually am interested to know if you have some thoughts on this because I don't really know how much it's going to affect the overall, like the way that the Suns are playing. I think the most important thing for this team going forward is health and like remaining healthy. If they can if they can figure that out, I think that matters. Uh, that probably matters to the most. What do you think? Look, I think when you're part of a team environment, everyone's got each other's backs to a certain extent, right? But but that being said, if you're Dario Saric or, or you're Cam Johnson, you look at Devin Booker going to the All-Star game and you're like, yeah, good good for you. You deserve it. I've got your back. But you're not like, I'm now going to play twice as hard for you to prove that I'm worthy <laughs> of being in your presence and yeah. we're going to make the playoffs. You know, like, I don't think it has yeah. that sort of um, grand effect. Uh, yeah. So the best I, I players think, on the Suns, other than Aiton, 
have played with All-Stars before. I, I don't think they're going to be starstruck true. or anything. Yeah, That's also it's, true. Uh, I, I do think that maybe he will feel a little more vindicated and continue that focus through the rest of the season. But I think at this point, like they're just going to keep trying uh, until the end of the season. Well, and uh, basically, if you, you know, just throw up the away feed for any team that comes on on League Pass for the next few weeks, like, you know, when other announcers around the league introduce Devin Booker, they're going to they're going right. to phrase it as all star Devin yep. Booker. And it's really going to sink in. And yeah, I mean, I think that's just why it was, again, to reiterate what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. So nice to see him there in the presence of yep. all those other guys, because you got the impression as you were watching that this is truly a national event. It's even more of a national event than when you see the Suns on ESPN or TNT. This is something where you know you've got the undivided attention of a lot of fans who otherwise wouldn't give a crap about Devin Booker. So that was exciting. Other people who listen to broadcasts from other teams, I never really do. I watch it on cable here. If you listen to broadcasts of other teams, I would like you guys to tweet at me and tell me whether or not they mentioned that he was an injury replacement when they talk about his <laughs> all-star status going forward. We'll keep a running tab of which announcers actually mentioned the injury replacement and which ones don't, and we'll figure out how actually uh, how much that actually matters. To but a then lot of we'll 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 forward. have to keep a running tally in future years too, and watch like yeah. the radioactive yeah. half life decay of like yeah. how that diminishes. It's fascinating <laughs> because it's we'll, going to be fast. We'll create a graph. Yeah, <laughs> we'll create a line graph of that. Last one, Alex asked me to talk about my old band. He said that legit sounds interesting. I'm not going to talk about it on here. Maybe at some point when we're not over an hour into the podcast, I can tell some stories. Um, but I'll tweet about ones. it more. I, I have some stories. Sam, I was telling you some stories recently. You've got some good um, ones. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet out some stories if, if people find that interesting. But that's all I got. Any other thoughts before we let this one end? Oh, that is all for me. I can't believe we have five days until another yeah. Suns game. So yeah. hang tight with us. What am I going to do with my life? Oh, dude, it's been great. I've got like hobbies and shit now, you know, like oh, outside. I don't this. even remember what that was like. <laughs> uh, audio editing isn't a hobby. <laughs> All right. We'll be back after the Toronto and the Chicago game. We'll record another podcast after that. Hopefully we have at least one win to talk about, maybe two improbable wins. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.